0: goes, Lord, in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, as we come now to open up your word, Lord, we pray that you would honor the preaching of your word today. Lord, as we study about the coming of Christ, his birth, how it took place, Lord, open our eyes to see the truth of who Jesus is and let our hearts respond according to who he is. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, open with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. This morning we will be looking at the birth of Jesus in verses 18 through 25. Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 25. And if you do not have a have your bible with you you can turn with me in the hymn or the pew bible there and it's on page 757 in the pew bible page 757 in the pew bible and again if you do not have a bible of your own then we invite you to take that pew bible with you and that's our gift to you hope you enjoy it and we'll read it As we look at the, as we think about Christmas, it seems like everyone, I mean everyone, especially here in America, everyone celebrates Christmas uh, in some respect. Now, most of who celebrate Christmas, they may not even call it Christmas, they call it the holidays. Uh, For many who celebrate Christmas, it's more about getting together with friends and family and uh, exchanging presents and all of that sort of thing Uh, even with some Christians I'm afraid some Christians even lose sight of what Christmas is all about and it becomes about more things uh, more of the, the secular things than it does about the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for so many people Christmas is a faithless act that is just something that we do every year but as we, we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the hope of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the eternal life that is in Him. So as we come today, and we can look at this text here in Matthew chapter 1, we see Joseph and his that first Christmas when he learns about the coming of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, now he is uh, fresh to this. He doesn't know. He he's not doesn't know what's going on. But now he is getting aware of things that are happening. Excuse me, kind of got off there for a minute. But as Joseph looks to the coming of Jesus. As he finds out about Jesus and and what it's all about, he's going to learn certain facts about Jesus. And as we look about at Joseph's response of uh, the facts about Jesus, we see a certain response that he makes. And as we think about that, we're going to learn this, uh, how faith and obedience work together. And so today, as we look at the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I hope that we we ask that question. I hope you ask this question. Do you truly believe? When you think about Christmas, when you think about the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, do you truly believe? You see, so many people who say they have faith in Jesus, their life shows little evidence of it. And I'm afraid that so many Christians even who are professing, those who profess to be Christians, don't have true faith. So what does true faith look like? Faith in Jesus Christ leads to active obedience. Faith in Jesus Christ leads to active obedience. That's what true faith is. It's active faith. It's faith that leads to obedience. It's not simply uh, observing some facts or or saying yes to certain facts about Jesus, just believing certain things about Jesus. It's about faith that takes action, just as we will see in the life of Joseph today. So if you found your place in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, please stand with me as we read God's Word. Jesus. Amen. May the Lord have blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Well, as we began to look at the birth of Jesus, we began by, by seeing, observing this unexpected announcement to Joseph. And a, quite an unexpected predicament that he is in. As the text tells us, uh, Joseph was betrothed to Mary. And when we think about a betrothal, a lot of us will think about an engagement. And it, it is kind of a, an engagement of sorts, but a betrothal in first century was uh, more binding than we would think of an engagement in our day. Uh, and when a couple were betrothed in the first century, they were basically married. Uh, the contract had been signed, the covenant had been signed, there had been agreement between father and the the husband-to-be. And, and so they were considered to be married. If you ask Joseph who his wife was during this betrothal period, he says, my wife is married. He just hadn't gone and gathered her yet. So they would be betrothed, the betrothal po- process would would start and so the man would go back home and he would begin to prepare a place for his wife and then about a year later he would go in the town it would be a humongous celebration where he rides in the town to get his bride and he would take his bride and take her home and into his house and they would be officially married at that point but betrothal in first century was considered to be marriage and so they were married Uh, for the betrothal to end the man would have to basically ask for a do- or give a divorce there wasn't an asking for a divorce but he would write a bill of divorce he would have to divorce his wife to end the betrothal they were married now here we have joseph and he has been betrothed to mary and now he finds out that she's pregnant now the way the text reads here it wasn't as mary came and and told joseph hey guess what An angel came to me and I have conceived by the Holy Spirit and I'm with child. But this was, uh, it kind of indicates here that how he found out was she began to show. She began to show, it became evident, it was a point where it became evident that she was with child. And so Joseph, he sees this and as the text says, Joseph was a just man And so he looks to divorce her. Now, why? What does it mean that he was a just man? It means that he was a law-abiding man. He was a a man of God, and and he he was wanting to. He lived his life to be obedient to the law of God as he knew it. Now, in the first century, for a man... To find out that his wife had committed adultery and not divorce her was actually illegal. It was against the law. The Talmud, which is a, a kind of a commentary on the Old Testament. Now, rem, uh, remember, a, a commentary uh, its a word of, of man, right? It, it's a, uh, an exposition on Old Testament script, scripture. It's an interpretation of the law. And so this is a commentary, this is an interpretation upon the law. But in Joseph's day, uh, the Talmud was considered almost as equal to the law of God. And so people lived by this. But the Talmud said this, this is the demeanor of a bad or evil man, an unjust man, an unrighteous man, who sees his wife going out into the street with her hair uncovered and spinning in the marketplace immodestly and with her garment open from both sides and bathing with men and ignore it. In other words, even seeing your, your wife as uh, an immodesty, right? Just being immodest. To go along with that and ignore it with regard to this kind of wife, it is Mitzvah—that that is, it is a commandment by Torah law to divorce her as it, is, as it is stated because he has found some unseemly matter in her and he writes her a scroll of severance, a bill of divorce, and gives it to her hand, in her hand, and sends her out of his house. And so by Jewish law, it would have been unrighteous in the view of his contemporaries, for Joseph to continue in that marriage because it seems, it appears, that Mary has committed adultery. I mean, she's with child. How else does one get pregnant? That's the way of thinking, right? And so he was a just man, and so he, is, he needs to seek to divorce his wife because to not do so would be against the law. That's... Hebrew law, but even Roman law required a man to divorce his wife. Even Roman law required if a man found his wife uh, committing adultery, if he failed to divorce her, he was guilty of pimping, of prostituting his wife, and he could be charged with that. And so for Joseph not to divorce his wife in the eyes of his contemporaries would be unlawful so here's Joseph a man who is a just man he is a man who desires to live for God and now he sees his wife his betrothed wife is with child naturally he thinks she's committed adultery she has been unjust or she's been unfaithful and she has committed adultery she is with child I must divorce her But it is in this that we also see that Joseph, not only is he a just man, but he's also a merciful man because he wants to do it quietly. He he, he still loves Mary. He has compassion upon her. So he, he has every right to make it a public thing and take her to court, open and to open court and divorce her as a public matter and shame her. But he doesn't want to do that. So he chooses to do it quietly and just have a couple of witnesses to witness him signing the bill of divorce and and giving it to her. But then as he determines to do this, he gets a visit from an angel of the Lord, a messenger from God. And the angel comes and he confronts Joseph with some facts about Jesus. And as he confronts him about who this this child is who is in Mary's womb he is confronted and now Joseph has to affirm these facts about Jesus and like Joseph when we are confronted with who Jesus is there are certain facts to affirm about who he is So, we see here in our text facts to affirm, three facts to affirm, in fact, about who Jesus is. Notice what the text says there, picking up in verse, uh, this is verse 20. But, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for, because, here's why, Because that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So first of all, we see that Jesus was supernaturally conceived. Jesus was supernaturally conceived. That which was conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That child is from the Holy Spirit. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was born of man, right? He's born of man. He he was in in Mary. He has Mary's DNA. He is a part of Mary. And so Jesus is fully man. But yet he is also born of the Holy Spirit. Making him also supernatural. He is supernatural. His Father is God through the Holy Spirit. And so this makes Jesus a very special man, doesn't it? Because as Scripture shows us, it, can, it seems to indicate to us at least that the seed of sin is passed on through the man. It was Abraham, or excuse me, it was Adam, who sinned, and it was Adam, through Adam, that sin was passed down to the rest of mankind, to each and every one of us. But Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. His mother was Mary, who was fully human. But his father is God, who is fully God. Jesus himself is fully God. And so Jesus, he's not born with that uh, seed of sin in him. Yes, he is fully man, but he is fully God. And he is able to live a life in perfect obedience to to the Father's will. He has no need of, of sin. Jesus was supernaturally conceived. Second, Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Savior. Joseph, son of David. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, there's a couple of things to notice here. First of all, there's this, that uh, it's, it's worth noting that the angel addresses Joseph as son of David. That's important. That's very important. Joseph, son of David. You see, Joseph was in the line of of David. He was a descendant of David. He was an heir to the throne of David. And not only that, but now the angel tells Joseph, the son of David, this child that is conceived in Mary, you shall call his name Jesus. This is another important aspect of this text. Because, you see, though Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus, he wasn't. But by naming Jesus, he in essence is adopting Jesus as his own child. That's why the angel of the Lord says to him, you shall name him Jesus. By naming Jesus, he is saying, I am taking this child. This child is my own. I'm taking him as my own. He is my child. He is my heir to my inheritance. And in first century, when you adopted someone, uh, that was more binding than even your own biological children. And that day, you could disown your own children but you can never disown an adopted child because you chose to adopt that child. And so that Joseph adopted Jesus by giving him the name, that makes Jesus in line for the throne of David. Now, there's some arguments that can also be made that Mary was of the line of Judah, and some people think that the genealogy given in, And Luke's gospel follows Mary's uh, descendants back to through David. Maybe it is. I don't know. That's still in question. But it's through uh, Joseph that Jesus finds his ultimate uh, lineage as Joseph adopts Jesus as his own son. But he also calls him Savior. Savior. Or, excuse me, he is called to call him Jesus. Now, the name Jesus, Yasu, in the, the Greek, uh, Yosef, or excuse me, not Yosef. Uh, what is it? I just lost my thought here again. <laughs> Yeshua, thank you. <laughs> it's one of those mornings. Yeshua in the Hebrew, uh, he is Yeshua. He is Jesus which means, which is interpreted in both languages, whether it's Yeshua in the Hebrew or Yasu in the Greek, both of them mean God's Savior, or God is salvation. So Jesus is called God's Savior. It is significant that Yeshua or Joshua in the Old Testament is the one who takes God's people and conquers the promised land he is the Savior the type of the Savior who would come who would lead God's people into the eternal promised land and here is this child being born who is to be called Yasu Yeshua Jesus who is God's Savior who would come and save God's people. So Jesus is God's Savior, God's Messiah, the Son of David, the King of David's eternal throne. So Jesus was supernaturally conceived, Jesus is Savior, third, Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is God incarnate. Matthew makes it clear here. All this took place, verse 22, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That is quoting Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. They shall call his name Emmanuel. And here again, names are important Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. Not only is Jesus Savior, that's what he does, but he is Emmanuel. That's who he is. He is God with us. This is no ordinary man. This is a man who is supernaturally conceived there it was a virgin birth mary had not been unfaithful she had continued to be faithful she was a virgin she conceived by the holy spirit and that which was conceived in her was god in human flesh god incarnate john's gospel puts it like this in the beginning was the word that is before anything else, in the beginning of creation was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. For all of those who say that Jesus was a, is a created being, all things all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made everything that was created was created by Jesus, through Jesus in him was life and the life was the light of man the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it and then verse 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as, the only, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God incarnate. He was in the beginning with God the Father. And everything that was created was created by him and through him and for him. And nothing that was created was created without him. He is Emmanuel, God in human flesh. So Jesus was supernaturally conceived. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is God incarnate. Now there are some, uh, there are some professing Christians, even, even some in major denominations, that want to affirm Jesus as Savior, yet deny the virgin birth. Let's say Jesus wasn't uh, born of a virgin. That's just fairy tale. But in so doing, they make Jesus a mere man. And a mere man is unable to live in sinless perfection and die for our sins. So when all of these denominations nowadays wanted to deny the virgin birth so that they can get along with secular culture, they're making Jesus a man, a mere man. One who was not born with sinless perfection. One who is unable to accomplish what Jesus accomplished. And so no matter what other denominations, no matter what other peoples may do or say, we affirm that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. He is God incarnate. He is God in human flesh who came and dwelt among us. And it's only this Jesus who has the power and the authority to save us from our sins. Dear friend, if you want to buy into what the world is saying and that Jesus was a good man, born to a good woman, you're not believing in the Saviour. You can't deny the virgin birth. You can't deny Jesus, God incarnate, and be a Christian. Jesus is God incarnate, God in human flesh. And so as Joseph is confronted with these facts about Jesus, then uh, he has some response to make. He has some decisions to make. And after he affirms him, there are these responses that he has to make. And just like he makes these responses, so must we make these same responses to these facts about who Jesus is. So responses to make. Look there at the last few couple of verses. When Joseph, verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, one one response here that is implied, it's very well implied in the text, though it's not specifically stated, is that that Joseph believed. He believed God. Right? He believed God. Here's this messenger from the Lord who comes to him and tells him all of these things. That's crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's crazy. If you had a vision of an angel who came and said your wife who was pregnant whom you've never slept with you've never had a relationship with but now she's pregnant and now you have this vision of an angel who tells you that it was a supernatural conception that she's a virgin, what would you think? I mean, this is outstanding. This is spectacular. But Joseph believes. Yes, this is something that God can do. Yes, it, it's against nat—it's against nature. Right? It, it's a, against the normal way of things. But God can do it because God is almighty. He's all powerful. He can do whatever he wants to do. God can do it and Joseph believes he has faith and faith is fundamental we have to start with faith we've got to believe in jesus we got to believe he is who scripture says that tells us he is he is god incarnate who came to save us romans four three through five says this about abraham for scripture says abraham believed god and it was counted to him his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So dear friend, the first response you have to make to the facts about Jesus is to believe, to trust in Jesus. To trust he is who he says he is who Scripture says He is, who God says He is. Trust that He has accomplished what God says He has accomplished. Trust that He went to Calvary's cross. He died on that cross for your sins. Trust in that. Believe that. Have faith in that. You must believe. There's also another response that falls in right behind that. And, and, and it's not in addition to that. It's an outworking of that and that is to obey God it is to obey God you see Joseph he obeys God God says don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife in fact take her to be your wife and name the child Jesus and because of his faith right get the order right because of his faith because he believes the result of his faith is obedience. It's obedience. And thus is the nature of true saving faith. You see, so many people, they have it in their minds that, oh, well, if I just affirm these facts, I'm good. No. No, friend. There are people who, are, who die and go to hell and affirm things about Jesus, but they don't believe in Him. They don't trust Him. They've never had true saving faith in Him. Even the devil affirms the facts about Jesus. And Scripture says there's no salvation for the devil and all the demons. They believe in Jesus. They believe those facts about Jesus. They tremble at the name of Jesus. but they will go to everlasting damnation affirming those facts about Jesus. And there are some human beings who will do the same exact thing. There are some church people who will go to eternal damnation affirming facts about Jesus but never truly believing in Jesus. I mean, could you imagine if Joseph Oh, well, yeah, God could do that. And and yeah, that's probably true. But you know what? If I continue in this marriage, if I continue to marry her, then my neighbors, they're going to talk bad about me. I'm going to be breaking the the Hebrew law, the man's law, if I continue to to follow through with this. Would that be true saving faith? No. No. His faith worked out in obedience. As James says, faith without works is dead. It's useless. There are so many people who want to affirm certain things about Jesus. Oh yeah, I believe He's the Son of God. Yeah, I believe He died on the cross for my sins. But I don't want to follow Him. I don't really want to give him my life. I don't really want to live in obedience because I really don't think he knows what's best for me. Because I really think what the world tells me to do, I think that's what's best for me. So yeah, I'm going to affirm these facts about Jesus, but I'm going to continue to live my life in sin, and I'm going to continue to live my life in absolute rebellion against God. I'll affirm these facts, but I'm not going to change anything. I'm not going to do anything different. I'm not going to live any, any other way. I'm still going to live in absolute disobedience and rebellion to God, but I'm going to affirm these things, and maybe then I'll be all right. Continue to live your life in sin, in utter rebellion against God. Let me tell you, dear friend, If you are affirming these facts about Jesus, yet your life has not changed, you continue to live in utter rebellion against God, you are on the road to damnation. I'm not saying that you're saved by your works. No, I'm not saying that. You're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But faith that saved obeys. It lives in obedience. If you continue to live in, in rebellion against God, you're not saved. We all have our faults. We're all going to sin. Yes, true, we are. I've sinned many times today already. I know I have because I'm a sinful human being. But when you continue to live an open, unrepentant sin against God and you think you're a Christian, you're living a lie. You're living a lie. If a Christian slips and, and, and falls back into sin and, and, and begins to live in a lifestyle of sin, it kills the Christian. It crushes them because God will, uh, will discipline His children. He will chastise you until you come out of that sin. If you are living in rebellion against God and you're fine with that, you're not feeling the consequences of that, your heart and soul don't mourn that, you don't long to be out of that, oh, dear friend, you're you're not a Christian. You're not in Christ because if the Spirit lived in you, you would change. He would not allow you to continue in that lifestyle. Oh dear friend, hear me today, I'm pleading with you because I feel like I know that there's some people who are living in sin Thinking they're all right because they prayed a prayer and they believe these facts and they've done these things, they've been baptized, they've done all of these things, but they continue to live in sin, continue to live in rebellion against God, thinking they're all right, and you're going to hell. Unless you turn and repent and believe in Jesus and give him your life. Trust him as Lord and Savior. Lord and Savior and savior that means he rules over you unless you repent and believe truly believe with obedient faith you're on the road to hell turn around today stop living the lie trust in jesus give your life to him repent from your sin turn to jesus trust obey so that you know that you know that you know you're saved are you living in faith and obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ today faith in Jesus Christ leads to active obedience it leads to active obedience Now, dear Christian, maybe you have responded to the gospel in obedient faith, but somewhere along the way, you've you've allowed sin to creep in. We we do that. We allow sin to creep in, and and we get trapped in sin again. You know that you need to repent. God is, is chastising you. He's disciplining you. You know you need to get out of that today your response is to to repent confess your sin to God repent from your sin turn away from your sin again and give it to God and ask God, Lord God, help me help me to rid my life of this habitual sin get out of it and live for Christ and for many or at least some today. Maybe even you've thought you were a Christian because, hey, you can affirm these facts about Jesus. You believe He is the Son of God. You believe He died on the cross to save sinners. You believe these things. You acknowledge these facts, but you've never given your life to Him. You've never truly trusted in Him as Lord and Savior maybe you've even been baptized but you've never changed a thing in your life you continue to live in active disobedience to the word of God today repent turn away from your sin truly trust in Jesus Believe in him. He will free you from that sin. He will change your life and transform your life so that you can live in obedience to the will of the Father. Repent today and give your life to Christ. Heavenly Father. Oh, Lord. We come to you today, Lord, and we recognize that we are sinners, every one of us. Unworthy of your grace, unworthy of your mercy, but Lord, you sent your son to die for us. Freely and willingly, he gave his life for us so that we might have life in him. Our only response is to believe, to trust in Jesus, to give him our life, to trust him with everything we, we have and everything that we are. And true faith, Lord, is obedient faith. It, it responds in obedience. It results in obedience. And though, Lord, we may struggle with that from time to time, Lord, you affirm it in our hearts when we truly believe and we're truly trying to live for Christ. But, Lord, I fear that there's those today who call themselves Christians that have continued to live in open rebellion against your word. They may have affirmed facts, but they've never truly believed in Christ. Oh, Lord, let them believe today. Open their hearts to see their sin, to see their rebellion, to turn from their rebellion and turn to Christ.